join me on Facebook Live if you want to say hi and join in with Steve Vines because that's where we are right now. Hello, Steve. Good morning. And we're nearly ratted out, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we are. We're about to be ratted out by by uh, tomorrow. But, yeah. you know, Kung Hei and all that. And what a brilliant is, year is it's been. Fantastic. One of the best. It, it's been a wonderful year. Yeah. Um, someone told me there was some problem with the bug and... Um, Something about Details, jackboots deboy. trampling over De- Hong Details. Kong. I, I, I don't know what all that's about. Nope. It's all been unicorns but, and rainbows, as far as I'm concerned. It really has, yes. What you got this morning? But where are we? Where are we? Ah, oh, that's right. Um, the rest of the world is very, very busy oh, yeah. getting the citizenry inoculated against the virus. Uh, yeah. And in Hong Kong, the vaccination programme is... Um, Oh, that's right. Nowhere. Ain't started. No definite date for it to start. Still faffing around with, can we force everybody to take the Sinovac vaccine, which hasn't undergone all the peer-reviewed trials that um, it's supposed to be. But don't worry. We've got a panel of experts, and they're going to say that you don't need to worry about all that stuff. We'll just bring it in. People will be very confident in using a vaccine that hasn't gone through the internationally recognised testing regime. And if they don't do it, according to Carrie, they'll only not do it for political reasons. Uh, You know, beam me up, Scotty, but it's political reasons why Hong Kong hasn't started the vaccine programme. Can I just ask our panel of experts? I mean, Steve's bringing up a very good point here. It is very unclear to Joe Soap, that's me and you, just exactly what the deal is. So if you know something, help us out. We're on Morning Brews Facebook Live. You know, a serious question. Go on, Steve. It's a serious question. And, and for all I know, the Sinovac vaccine may well be the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I'd like to see, and I think most sensible people, before they get involved with inoculations, would like to have the evidence there in a form mm-hmm. that is recognised. I don't think that's a too lavish request. Isn't it ironic that if this thing was proven beyond all shadow of a doubt to be the absolute business, just what exactly the doctor ordered, I think people would more than likely happily go for it if it's purely down to medicine and science. And confidence. Well, yeah, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's the little boy who cried wolf at the moment. I mean, I'm not excluding the possibility that it is the best thing since sliced bread. But I am seriously worried that there will be high levels of resistance to it in Hong Kong because of the certainties and the lack of trust over this program, which I have to emphasise still hasn't started. But there you go. What we have been told is that there's been an enormous, enormous success with these lockdown raids. Um, 25,000 people have been tested, and 0.08% of them, i.e. 20, have been found to have tested positive for the virus. I don't know where to go with this, Steve, because isn't that a result? You think, well, we're going to do this. Uh, Oh, look, nobody's got it. Cool. Surely, I tell you what would be. I tell you what would be a real result. This is this is show business. It's nothing to do with with prevention of spreading the virus. That's what we're supposed to be engaged in at the moment. Not all this playing around with theatrical police raids on poor neighbourhoods. If I saw <laughs> one indication that in these neighbourhoods the government was also doing something about the drainage problems, was also doing something about the pipes that are producing um, 
the infection, etc., etc. I'd say, you know, go for it. A raid Conduit, raid Conduit Road, and then you have our support. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, when it comes to the lower orders, just round them up and, and give the impression, this is what's so damaging about this, not that it's a total failure, which of course it is, but it somehow is that the Hong Kong population need to be coerced to do the right thing. This is contrary to all the evidence, and we've had this evidence available for at least a year, that Hong Kong people, even without a policeman swinging a truncheon in their left ear, are quite happy to do the right thing. They're happy to socially isolate. They're happy to wear a mask. They wash their hands, etc., etc. But oh, no, no, no. You have to create the, the, the visual image of a population that will only obey if you've got policemen running around in the middle of the night in the streets of, of um, Hong Kong's most depressed areas. Can I, can I at this moment, Steve, just bring in a, p a few of our correspondents here because they'll help you along Please your way. Colin, Colin, I've no idea which particular bit Colin's referring to. His message just says, another rubbish policy by the Hong Kong government, question mark. So thanks, Colin. Uh, Nigel says, just look at Singapore. Once again, which bit? I suppose you're talking about the dealings, uh, dealing outs of the vaccine. Bright Spark says, think Bolivia is getting good results so far with China vaccine. Bright, of course they are. It's Bolivia. And uh, Jeremy, good morning. He says, dying with three others until 10pm. Gosh, what a lovely government. And thanks to the benevolent Communist Party, life will be wonderful again. That's from Jeremy. Stephen says, no lockdowns on the dancing mid-level grannies. <laughs> I, I, I bet they live in upper, upper mid-levels, if they're the ones I think you're talking about. And Nigel back again. He says, trusting government and vaccine programmes. Started vax already and elder vulnerable and frontline medical done. Even all aircrew completed. So there you go, Steve. Chuck that lot in. Well, you know, I, um, I, I think those those messages do reflect a much wider feeling: the feeling of lack of distrust, the feeling of frustration, and total, if you like, um, vaccine exhaustion with with all these nonsense government measures. So. Now we, feel, we find that restaurants can open until 10 o'clock in, in, instead of 6 p.m. I actually Apparently didn't know what it was, now. so that's, I'm glad you guys are here because this is how confusing it, 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 it it's is. 10, yeah. It's 10 o'clock and it will be four people are allowed to sit together at from the table. So, from when, so, Steve? Sorry, from when? Um, that will be from, I think, it's just after the new year. I think it may be... Uh, I'm very. Can you help us out here? Because I, I thought the, to, to say, I, no worries. I thought the deal was to relax it for the holidays so people could get down. No, because this no, virus likes a good I Chinese know, New Year holiday as well. No, I know for for sure that it won't be relaxed for okay, the holidays okay, themselves, okay. which of course is an enormous disappointment to people who wish to celebrate the New Year with their family and their friends, which after all is pretty what much. the New Year is all about. <laughs> so I mean, so there's that. But you know, I wouldn't mind. Honestly, I understand why you have restrictions. I understand social distancing. I understand all of that. But I really feel that, that people would be less... Oh, I was going to use a word you're not supposed to use. Less teed off with it <laughs> um, if they could understand the logic of these restrictions. So now we discover that the virus will only spread after 10pm as opposed it's to... It's a bit busy, isn't it? After it's a rest. It needs a rest. You know, those viruses, they, get, they put in long days. Long, long hours, mate. <laughs> they need some time off. 
So anyway, I mean, we're, we're moving, we're moving, we're edging in the right direction mm -hmm. behind the rest of the world. Thank goodness. I mean, you know, Hong, Hong Kong shouldn't, shouldn't ever dare to put its head up above the parapet and do things better than other places. But, you know, the citizens of Hong Kong have done better than other places. It's only something called the government. And, you know, is it really a government? I don't know. I mean, um, people call the chief executive in name only the deputy mayor. In other words, the, the little local leader who takes orders from big boss. I don't know if that's right or not. I suspect it may well be. But the, the fact of the matter is that because of the intense politicization of this pandemic by the CNO, mm -hmm. chief executive in Moni, we are where we are. I mean, you know, we could be a lot further ahead on the road. People could be leading better lives. Less people could be unemployed. Less com fewer companies will have closed. These are big, big, long-standing consequences. All this talk about politicization, Steve. I mean, um, people don't really. We, we are not terribly interested in that. People are saying, "Well, can I? Can I get this? Can I get stuck with this? Can I not? Will it work?" Just really simple, empiric questions. Um, you were talking about the way things have changed here, and uh, Bright's back. He says all these people leaving Hong Kong, probably students for education, unemployment here. Um, is getting worse and property isn't going down. So at some stage, chuck that in as well, if you would. Yeah. Well, I mean, it gives it that, that, let's just move on to that topic because here we are. I guarantee to you, and this is something which I can say with utter confidence that anybody listening to this, i.e. the one or two listeners that we have, yeah. will know somebody today who is planning to move, who is thinking to leave Hong Kong, certainly is discussing whether or not they should move or not. I mean, that is a terrible indictment of where we are in Hong Kong today. And what is the response of the government? You know, good riddance. people, good riddance, but people don't make this enormous decision to give up their way of life, to give up their homes, to give up their jobs, to give up for children, their, 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 their schools. Mm. They don't do this likely. Nobody is going to sit there and go, oh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to move country tomorrow. It's a big this deal. is not massive a right deal. decision. It's a massive deal. And what does the government have to say to people who are contemplating making this enormous decision? They're threatened. If you, if you dare to do this, we will do that. They're told that they're second-class people, that they're economically worthless. I have yet to hear a single government official, a single one of the Quislings, standing up and saying, here's some good reasons why Hong Kong, under the new um, intensive white terror regime, is going to be better for you. I just haven't heard it. All I've heard is, we threaten you with this, we threaten you with that. If you don't do this, we'll do that. I mean, people who are on the verge of thinking, shall I move or shall I stay, are going to be listening to that and going, boy... What? So the reasons for staying are threats. What do you know about the uh, unemployment situation here? I mean, that word comes back week by week. It's a fairly, you know, bland, boring word, but its ramifications are huge. What do you know? The, the implications are huge. I, I'm always very worried that people get deceived by the official figures, which are official figures for people out of full-time employment. Mm-hmm. And they're scary enough. We're talking about between 6 and 7%, which is very, very high for Hong Kong. Right. 
But I mean, the army of part-time workers who are not reflected in these figures, ah. the level of unemployment in that sector is much, much higher. Well, that's totally skewed then, because the freelance um, family all over the world is immense, and all over the world, um, governments have been picked up for not, not remembering them. I mean, freelance exactly. is, is the thing, gig so, economy. Sorry, right? you're, you're right. You, you, you mentioned freelancers. I was actually thinking part-time workers. So they, they actually are employed, but only on a part-time basis. Gotcha. You put those two together, and that number of 6 to 7%, being unemployed is completely overshadowed it's big, isn't it? and it's very hard to trace freelance workers because of course um they work um in ways that are very hard for the government to trace as you know you can be registered as being actively employed as a freelancer at a time when you have no work no income whatsoever so yes there's that factor bring it on to the minimum wage this is the perfect time to talk about that as well it is. So now we know that not only have legions of people been laid off, um, legions of people working on um, a basis where they have to take, for, they're forced to take leave because their companies just simply can't afford to employ them. Not only is that happening, but we've been told for the next two years, the minimum wage will not change. Now, I don't have a crystal ball as to what will happen to inflation in the next two years. But I would say it's highly unlikely that in two years, within a period of two years, there will be zero inflation. So in fact, what they're saying is that people on a minimum wage, which have the, the lowest paid people in society, are going to have to pay, sorry, are going to have to take a wage cut. Is that reasonable? I just don't think it is. But on the other hand, it is a fact that companies are finding it very, very difficult to retain staff when there's no business. So, you know, we're in this vicious circle. The government refuses to provide substantial economic assistance where it's needed hmm. because it needs all that money for the white elephant schemes. It needs to be able to, you know, produce the third runway at the airport at a time when everybody in, on the planet knows that air transportation is going to suffer an enormous decline. They need to be able to subsidise the bridge to nowhere, which cannot wash its face even in good times, let alone bad times. Mm -hmm. They need to be pouring money into the world's only nationalised theme park at um, Ocean Park, etc., etc. So, you know, there's always money for white elephant projects. There's always money for whatever is a massive project. And if that isn't all enough, there's always money to destroy the environment around Lantau with this enormous Lantau Tomorrow program, which, you know, by the day is you know, making less and less sense. You know, what I've said to you many times, and I'm totally talking nonsense, but I hope I'm right, that this, the to-do list is so massive that this thing is just going to grunt its way up. I mean, this is a massive, massive to-do list. It's not just like the one and only project is Lantau Tomorrow. So people are really but, hoping it just know, doesn't get it, to the top of the red box. It's, it, you know, to me, there's, there's an image that, that I sort of fixed in my mind as, of, as as long ago as last week. It's like somebody sitting in a burning house and saying, I tell you what, I'm really wondering whether we should get double glazing. <laughs> when the fire is burning up the stairway, you know, it's likely to engulf everybody in flames. They go, I tell you what, you know, double glazing is something we really should be thinking of. Let's not worry about the fire extinguisher. 
let's not worry about getting out the burning building. Let's let's look to the future and see whether double glazing would be the answer to our many woes. This is this is essentially the government's attitude. Well, Nero's saying, "Oh, I've got a new bow. Do you like it?" <laughs> well, there's the gold taps in the bathroom, but let's not go there because yeah. you know we may have a sensitive listener out there. So you know, I'm. Uh, I'm beyond, beyond worried about all of this. We've got a minute and a bit before the news, so we asked earlier on when do the new regs come in, and uh, a couple of guys said from next Thursday, Nigel said 19. Basically, it's, it's the end of next week. Steve says, uh, but, yeah, no, but no word on whether bars can open. Now, I thought it was up until 10 o'clock. See, this is the thing. We're all at sixes and sevens. I'm just being lazy, but uh, even, our, even our panel of experts isn't together. I mean, my... my understanding is that bars have to pretend that they are restaurants and then they can open but um again i think there's probably somebody out there who knows more about this now what we do know from the current situation is as ever confusion reigns i mean you know this government isn't even capable of simply communicating where we are at this rather worrying time for everyone. I, I'm, I'm aware of all that. I'm just wondering why. I mean, technically, why? Is it because certain departments don't know what other ones are doing and stuff's not... Conf- I mean, you know, logistic-type stuff. They have form. <laughs> you know, when you... <laughs> they have form at not being good at communicating. Um, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think this is a new thing. It's just... It's, you know, it's just got more worrying and more, more vital at this time than it has been before. I think that's the only difference, but, you know. All right, well, Steve's going to be around for 10 or 15 more, so join us if you want to. Morning Brew is the page, and uh, morningbrew.rthk.hk. Just a little bone before the news. What do you want to get on to? I think we might just talk about the arrest of um, Wanyin Singh, JC, you know, the radio host, Mm -hmm. uh, who's been arrested on, on sedition charges, because the implications of that are enormous, and I hope we could get into that. All right, then. We'll be back in just a second. Sit tight, Steve. R-T-H-K, Radio 28 minutes to 11 o'clock. Thank you very much, Stephen, for saying to us that venues with a restaurant licence can open until 10pm next Thursday. Venues with light refreshment licences or only liquor licences will have to remain closed unless there are further announcements. So that's not a bad start. All right, Steve. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm happy that we have had that clarified. So um, if you were thinking of enjoying yourself in a bar, remember, enjoyment... Leads to dancing. Know, it leads to dancing. <laughs> and uh, smiling. Mm-hmm. But talking which, no, seriously, though. So we're, just quickly before the break, I mentioned that um, the concern, and it's, it's enormous concern, over the rest and now the denial of bail to uh, Wanyu Singh, the radio host, Mm -hmm. who's been charged under the sedition rules, not under the national security law. It it should be stressed. Now, the sedition laws have been on the statute book for literally uh, decades. The point is that they haven't been used. And it was a failure of the former colonial government not to simply take them off the books. But there you go. We are where we are, and they are still there. And it's interesting that this charge was brought under the sedition laws because this is a charge. He is charged with um, causing uh, dissatisfaction among Hong Kong people, um, 
uh, inciting hatred against the government. In other words, these are thought crimes. Okay. Now, remember, if case anybody is even vaguely short in the memory department, one of the things we were categorically assured about the new white terror is that it wasn't going to be directed against thought crime. Thought crime, you know, the Orwellian thought, concept of thought crime was, was not supposed to be part of the picture. Well, yet again, it is part of the picture. It, it, it's, it's part of a bigger picture. It isn't part of the national security, security law picture. It's part of a bigger picture of the white terror. So in this case, we, we obviously don't know the outcome of the trial because it hasn't begun, but we do know that it's con his thought crime is considered to be sufficiently serious mm -hmm. to be denied bail, even though he happens to be in hospital at the moment. Um, where are we heading with all of this? Well, we know that. What we also know is that every assurance that we were given is just not worth the paper it isn't printed on. We were told, oh, you know, national security law. Well, yes, of course, it is essentially a mainland law, but, you know, we have the Hong Kong common law system. We will, uh, we will conform to the normal conventions of the common law system trial by jury. First case under the national security law to be held, apparently will not have a jury present. We were told that the presumption of evidence, sorry, the presumption of innocence will still be the guiding principle of the law. But as the Court of Final Appeal ruled this week in the bail application for Jimmy Lai, the publisher, the presumption of guilt is what the national security law specifies and they talk about the article of the law which says that there is a presumption of guilt unless innocence can be proved so you know all of these things that we were told don't worry about it you know all these hysterical people bobbing up and down on the radio saying that the common law system is being eroded you don't need to worry about that this is all you know this is all wild talk Basically, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be the same. Well, it isn't. And now we know the extent to which it isn't. And um, the direction of travel, not a good one, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve. Time for a couple more this morning. So let me, let's just talk about um, uh, 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 another thing, which <laughs> this is... Uh, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm tittering, because it's not funny, but it is the case which um, appeared in the appeal courts yesterday about the right of domestic workers not to live with their employers. Now, remember, this case w w was brought by a woman who just had a baby and not unreasonably wanted to live with her baby. This is what mothers do. It's actually what fathers do as well, funnily enough. So she wanted to maintain her job but live somewhere else because her employer wouldn't accept her in the house with the baby. Mm -hmm. You would say, well, that's pretty unreasonable, isn't it? Now, in the, in the courts yesterday, they said, well, that's a breach of the rule. She can't do that. They didn't say it was a good law or a bad law. That's not what the Court of Appeal is there to decide. It's there to decide whether the law has been obeyed or it hasn't been obeyed. And the law as it stands according to the Court of Appeal and 
I have no reason to doubt that they're right, whether they're wrong or right about this, mm-hmm. is that, that there is no provision for the great army, and remember, it is a great army, 370,000 people who are employed as overseas domestic helpers. There's no provision in that law for living outside the home of the employer, even though we have documented case of terrible abuse, physical abuse of domestic helpers. We have documented cases of the living accommodation, which is specified by law, not being applied, but, you know, in other words, you're supposed to provide a living accommodation of such and such a space. So it's widespread reports of domestic helpers having to sleep under kitchen tables, being literally put in cupboards to sleep, et cetera, et cetera. All of this, nobody's policing the system to make sure none of that happens. But what they are policing is the system that makes sure that they're not allowed to live outside the homes of their employers. So either the law is an ass or the people who are drafting the law are basically fundamentally unthinking, have a shameless regard for the human rights of these 370,000 people. I've got to repeat that number because it's a very big one who are employed under these circumstances. This living rule thing has been a big bet noir for a long, long time, hasn't it? It has. And this case, I think many people were hoping <coughs> would, would, would drive a dent into that particular rule. Well, it hasn't done so. So the only reasonable um, avenue now is to change the law. Is there any sign whatsoever that this is being done? No. On the contrary, we had a government statement following the ruling saying the law wouldn't be changed because because it hasn't been. I mean, you know, it's that sort of circular logic. We haven't changed the law because the law exists. Uh, Laws are there to be changed. Hmm. That's what happens Hmm. in a civilised society. So this 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 is a very unhappy day for, and I have to say it's almost certainly a minority of abused um, domestic helpers. I don't think the overwhelming majority are are living in an abusive situation, but that doesn't make it any better, you know, because, you know, one person is abused and 10 people aren't. That doesn't mean that the the fate of that one person is somehow irrelevant. I think this is is one of the shames of Hong Kong society. It's what you call small Hong Kong, right? Sorry? It's what you call small Hong Kong. It is small Hong Kong. And, you know, we live in a society where a very large number of middle class families employ domestic helpers. So it's not a peripheral concern. It's a core concern. And something needs to be done about it. I don't see anything being done about it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. All right, I'd like to move on, Steve. My my um, my Facebook to-do list, I get these topics just keep popping up from people, so well done. Anyway, um, Colin says, foreign doctors working in Hong Kong propose changes. Foreign doctors. Yeah, so this is these are changes to the rules that would allow overseas doctors to work only in the public health system initially. Mm. which I I understand that. I mean, that's where the shortage is. And if local doctors aren't, for for whatever reason, willing or or happy to work Mm. in the public health system, there is a shortage of doctors there. I personally think it's perfectly acceptable to fill it with willing hands, many of whom, incidentally, will be overseas Chinese who, for various reasons, um, are... Working overseas. Uh, working overseas, yeah, that's what I suppose an overseas Chinese person does. 
<laughs> but you know, the Doctor's cartel is unkeen on this, and I get that as well. Yeah, how do you think that's going to pan out? Because we've seen that before. Um, the, doc- <coughs> the Doctors have kicked well, I think up, kicked up it's about things. Pan out. It's going to pan out that they will let them in, and the government will force them to let them in. What what I I fear will come as a result of this is yet another area of autonomy will be eroded mm. because at the moment the medical profession doctors essentially regulate themselves i think the result of this will be for the government to step in and say we don't like the way you're doing that job and we'll take it over apparently there are a lot of hoops to jump through on this one so i suppose the the rhetorical question would be why would they want to come in the first place because in fact um Doctors in Hong Kong are relatively well paid. I think it's as simple as that compared with other places. It's as simple as that. I mean, you know, it's why do people come here to work as domestic helpers? Not because they they have a love of living in other people's homes and cleaning up. It's because they need the money. Absolutely. P.S. One more. One very quick Even if one. it's to say, uh, hope you have a happy, happy new year or if, something. <laughs> this story popped up in the middle of the week, and I, I looked at it several times to think, could it possibly be true? But of course it is. It's about our good friends at Cafe Pacific, Ooh. who apparently have told the cabin staff that if people, when they go to sleep at night on planes, in first and business, remove their masks, oh, right. that's all right. If they're in economy, I mean, I've never been in the economy myself, I have no idea what goes on down there. But if people in economy do that, they should be woken up, tapped on the shoulder and told to put on a mask. Yeah. Is that true? Apparently it is. It's unbelievable. Economy is like Snowpiercer. Go down the back of that big train and that's economy, right, Steve? Mm. Of course, you've never, yeah, ever... I wonder why they... <laughs> why do they call it cattle class? Can someone explain that to me? <laughs> Take care, Steve. What might be your wish for the Year of the Ox, if you have one? Yeah. I think I know what yours is. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to certain things. (laughs) Take care, Steve. Have a happy new year. It's been lovely talking to you. We will do it again. And next week, that's Steve Vines here on The Morning Brew.